Father, we, uh, we all have come here. Um, you see us, you know us. We praise you for that and thank you for that. But what we pray now is that you would help each of us to leave here seeing you, knowing you, hearing the goodness, the strength, the grace, the love of this Friday, that you would reach into our lives and you would change us, that you would save us. In Jesus' name, amen. What brings me to the question I wanted to begin with this morning is, what are you feeling this Easter? What were you feeling last Easter? Can't remember, I can't remember what I had for dinner last night. What are you feeling this Easter? What are we meant to feel at Easter? It's a double holiday. Many of us have just been longing for this break. Uh, Let's be honest, to refresh. It's been again another start to the year interrupted by COVID. Uh, And look, if we're honest, many of us are feeling, you know, frazzled, tired, exhausted, We're feeling probably all sorts of things. We're feeling probably just good to be here. And then on our screens, we've had sort of uh, pictures of millions of people seeking safe passage out of a war zone in the Ukraine. Superpowers are again posturing, making the world nervous. People's livelihoods have been destroyed by floods uh, just over on the East Coast. We've got leaders still trying to find that exit door out of this COVID pandemic. And then I read two weeks ago, a Salvation Army report. They just rang up a few thousand Australians, a lot of them young. How's it going? Oh, not so good. Mental illness and mental distress are way up. People have sort of, you know, they look like they're coping, but underneath it all, we're just surviving at best. Tani... Uh, She seemed okay to her friends and at school and her family. But behind that brave smile inside, she was crying. Just crying all the time. Sad all the time. She didn't know why. She knew that people loved her, her family loved her. She knew she had a lot to be thankful for. But God, why do I feel so sad all the time? Why do I feel so alone? So forsaken. And then we can forget about all those other statistics for all those other diseases as well. My sister, who at the moment is in hospital, she's in the fight of her life with cancer. She would tell you that cancer has not taken a holiday. Brad is a, a young dad of two kids I met a few years ago. He was a man who several years ago watched his wife die of brain cancer, who did everything humanly possible to save her from the grave. He even dug out that old telephone to that God he'd learned about in Sunday school and he prayed his heart out to that God. Please, please will you save my wife? But he didn't. A man who watched his wife die eaten away by cancer, a man who was angry at the hand God had dealt his wife and his kids, a man who felt forsaken by his God 
and so had forsaken any thought of God. Let me ask you again. How are you feeling this Easter? The events of that first Easter, we heard a little bit of the story read out again, is God letting us know that we are not alone. That humanity is not abandoned or forsaken. That although we may feel forsaken, there is real hope in Jesus. That in Jesus, God has in a very real and personal way, he's come into our world, the mess of this world, the darkness of this world, to provide a safe passage home to life with God. A safe passage out of it all. Have a look with me at that leaflet. Just it's printed out there on the inside of your leaflets. It's from Matthew's historical biography of Jesus. We're in chapter 27. And kids, what, what's, what's, what, what's today? Good Friday. Friday, Friday. So I thought what I might do this morning is bring, bring it's the letter F today, okay? So three Fs. We've got forsaking, fulfilling and forgiving. So the Easter story is all about in Jesus, God is forsaking, God is fulfilling, God is forgiving. So the first F is Jesus is God forsaking. Now, what's happened so far? Well, uh, Jesus has been stripped. He's actually hanging naked on his cross. He's been beaten and tortured and flogged. Uh, His hands and feet have had really big iron spikes nailed through them. And there's Jesus hanging on his cross. He's in a rubbish dump outside of Jerusalem. You've got Jewish leaders and Jewish people and you've got people from other nations, lots of Romans especially. They're gathered around and they still haven't given up ridiculing him and mocking him. And Jesus, I mean, they've already cried out at his trial altogether like at a big, a big concert. They've all cried out as one, crucify him, crucify him. And then here you've got, it's almost like a sick Monty Python comedy, really. At the foot of his cross, you've got the Roman soldiers who tortured Jesus, you know, and the garrisons who've, who've actually crucified him. Well, they're just down there gambling for his clothes, the religious leaders, well, they're watching on to see if this, this Jesus of Nazareth, as if, as if his God is going to come and save him. And then on, on a distant hill, Matthew reports that there's some women, women who actually had been there at the very beginning, who had been touched by Jesus, healed, you know, that they're watching from a distance. And, and, and they're just confused, they're grief-stricken, they're distraught. Uh, like, I mean, like, like, like us, I mean... They certainly don't want to be this hated, despised, ridiculed, rejected man hanging on his cross. I mean, they feel for him. They're sad, but they don't want to be this man. So they're watching from a distance. And in a way, that's us today, isn't it? We're watching from a distance through the the eyewitness testimony of those who were there. And, And so what do we see? Well, we're told that it's midday, suddenly there, um, from verse 45. 
and that the whole land is plunged into darkness. It's like one of those eclipses when the sun goes in front of the moon, except this doesn't last for three minutes, it lasts for three hours. It's completely unnatural, it's supernatural. And suddenly out of this supernatural darkness into the waiting silence, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's Matthew's only recorded words of Jesus from his cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the first line of an old blues song in the Bible called Psalm 22. It's about a, written about a thousand years before Jesus by his forebear, David. It tells a story of a king, God's king, who becomes hated Rejected and alone and abandoned and forsaken, not just by humanity, but by his God. And as we see Jesus at a distance through the eyewitness testimony of those who are there, we, as we see Jesus hanging impaled on his cross, it captures well the story of Jesus' rejection and abandonment and forsaking by humanity. Just think with me, we've had the the increasing plots and scheming of Jewish religious leaders uh, to destroy Jesus. They found an ally in Judas, and so his own friend Judas betrayed him for blood money. All of his other friends, they couldn't get away fast enough from Jesus when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. His most vocal and loyal friend Peter, I'll die with you, Jesus! Well, he's just denied even knowing Jesus three times. False witnesses at Jesus' trial, somehow convinced to twist truth, to tell lies. Even the Roman gov, Pilate. I mean, he's the justice guy in the land. He's sitting there on his judgment seat. And we're told by Matthew that he even knows that Jesus is innocent. He knows that it's only out of envy that the religious leaders have got him there and Anyway, who do you want me to release? And as we heard, John, you know, they cry out for a notorious murderer to be released as one humanity. And still, the messenger comes to Pilate from his wife. She's had a a horrible night's sleep. Horrible. Dreams about this Jesus of Nazareth, the righteous man. The message to her husband, have nothing to do with this guy, have nothing to do with this guy. I've suffered much because of him. But even that's not enough to tip the gov towards justice, to give the guy a fair go. He can see a riot stuff. No, no, he's a politician. No, the most votes, off you go. So Jesus is crucified. Barabbas is set free. As a tortured, beaten, naked Jesus, he gasps from this cross, abandoned, forsaken by every human being on the planet. You couldn't find a more alone human being, a more abandoned, forsaken Jesus hanging on his cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, perhaps you sit here as someone who knows a little bit about what it means to be passed over, (laughs) you know, traded in, betrayed, abandoned, 
forsaken by a friend, a lover, a spouse, a child, an employer or employee. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's the stuff of this world, isn't it? But is not this the most human of all cries? You know, God, where are you? God, that's not fair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew records the, the events of that first Easter to teach and remind us that Jesus' cry of forsakenness, it's a cry first and foremost of solidarity, of identity. Jesus couldn't be any more human at this point. Jesus cries is Jesus. It's what his baptism's all about. He's, he's taking up everything of what it means to be human. He's taking up the, 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 the suffering, the, the sin, the forsakenness of this world, of what it means to be human. That in Jesus, God has entered into all that it means to be human in this world. That's the first thing that this cry of forsakenness means. Jesus really is the Emmanuel. He really is God with us as a human being. And what's unfolded here to bring us to this point is not some sort of series of unfortunate events. It's not random. It's mysteriously, wonderfully God fulfilling, fulfilling his will, fulfilling all of his eternal purposes for us as hum human beings. It's God making good on every promise he's ever made towards humanity in Jesus forsaking. Which brings us to that second F. Jesus is God forsaking. Jesus is God fulfilling. He's God fulfilling to secure forgiveness for our sin. To secure safe passage to life with God. It explains why some of the details are here and you think it's strange that a whole lot of other details weren't recorded. It, through Matthew, God is showing us that Jesus is the righteous one, the forsaken suffering one of Psalm 22 and lots of other Psalms and parts of the Old Testament as well. That all these prophecies, it, it's, it's, like, it's like a script. It's like, on, you know, on the front of your leaflet, you've got this sort of like... You know, the roadmap. Here's what to expect when you walked in this morning. Well, that's a bit what the Old Testament is. It's like this roadmap of what to expect when his Messiah turns up. It's, just, it, it's the script. It's, um, and, and so Matthew wants to show us that Jesus really is the fulfilment of all of God's loving purposes towards us. Again, just look, look, look again at some of the details from that reading. And so verses 34... And 48, we're told that Jesus was offered wine vinegar and gall to drink. That's a prophecy fulfilling Psalm 69, verse 21. And then, sentence 35 and 38, we're told that Jesus was encircled by evildoers, that he was crucified, pierced, they pierced his hands and feet. What do we read in Psalm 22, verse 16? Remember, this is the psalm that Jesus has quoted My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 16, we read that for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And again, if you look back at Matthew 27, verses 35 and 36, 
It takes us back to Psalm 22, verses 17 and 18, where we're told that those that crucified Jesus stared and watched over him, and they gambled for Jesus' clothing. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Verses 39 to 44 of of this reading from Matthew records the ongoing ridicule, abuse and slander from everyone gathered against God's anointed at his cross. Even the criminals, either side of of Jesus, ridiculed Jesus. You'd think they'd have enough going on, (laughs) but they got energy to have a crack at Jesus. And again, it's fulfilling prophecies from Psalm 22, verses 6 to 8. Let me read it. But I'm a worm and not a man. Scorned by humanity and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. (laughs) He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. And then Matthew reports that those very words from Psalm 22 are the words that the religious leaders use for Jesus as he hangs there on the cross. He trusts in God, let God deliver him. Matthew's point is very simple at this point. In Jesus' forsakenness is God fulfilling scripture for us. But why is God's own son being forsaken by God? Brings us to that third F. Do you remember what it is, kids? Forsaken, fulfilled. Yeah, well done. Forgiven. Jesus is God forgiving. Jesus forsaken at the hands of humanity reveals just how complete our natural predisposition is to reject God's word and his way for our life. We are totally depraved. We we couldn't be more professional, more expert. Um, We've got this down pat. We'll go to great lengths to preserve my rights my control, my autonomy, all so I can do life my way. Jesus' forsakenness at his cross, his forsakenness by you, by me, by all humanity, it reveals just how desperate our situation is. I mean, the word the Bible uses to describe our state before God is dead. Dead. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is first and foremost a lyric about how sinful and how shattered every human being's relationship with God is without exception. There are no exceptions here and there are no excuses. But second, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It cries out to us of God's long-suffering love for humanity, of his yearning to do whatever it takes to repair the relationship with us to give us a fresh start, to give us safe passage back to God. In Jesus, God is forsaking his son to fulfil scripture for the forgiveness of our sin to give us that fresh start with God. So great is God's love for us. He sent his only begotten son, the second person of the Trinity, has left it all to come one of us, to die death on a cross, to himself Take on all the wrath, all the anger, all the judgment of God that you and I deserve. To take it all from us. 
and to take it to his cross and to deal with it once for all, to, to satisfy, to, to exhaust it once and for all. Well, it brings us to three signs, three signs here in this passage that God really is forgiving us. Like, for anyone here this morning, whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever you're feeling, that right now, this morning, there's an opportunity for you to make a a fresh start with God. That first sign is the darkness, the darkness. We know about darkness, don't we? I mean, the sun goes down, it's dark, but we know about other sorts of darkness, the darkness that comes in the face of death, the darkness when we see a loved one die, the darkness that descends when actually our own mortality stares us in the face. We know about that darkness, don't we? We also know about the darkness of, of, of when we've really stuffed up, like we've really stuffed up, and someone is rightfully angry with us the darkness of a relationship being in disrepair of just that's a horrible darkness back in the early history of God with Israel they were in slavery for over 400 years in Egypt and there's a book in the Bible you can read it's called Exodus it records a time in history when God intervened through his saviour leader Moses he saves over a million of his of his people his Old Testament people He saves them out of slavery in Egypt. There's these miraculous signs, there's these plagues. uh, And then finally it comes to the night where he saves them. It's called the Passover night. Where where God provides safe passage through the Red Sea and through the wilderness to be his covenant people. The night that God's angel passed over Egypt to save Israelites, this Passover night is, is the night that the darkness of death, God's judgment, judgment day, it fell on every firstborn in Egypt, except any house that had sacrificed a lamb and taken some of that blood and put it on their doorpost outside. God's avenging angel, it passed over that household wherever there was blood because of the the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb. It's why Jews, still today, every year, they get together in Jerusalem to to celebrate, to remember that Passover night. Now, does anyone know what the the last plague was before before the Passover night? Does anyone know what what it was? The plague of? Oh, close. It's another D word. Darkness. Darkness. Cool. I didn't see Dad's lips move at all then. that's right the last plague before the Passover night was the plague of darkness and here we have three hours of supernatural darkness descending on Jesus hanging on his cross before he dies you see that first exodus it pointed us to God's better and greater second salvation when God would save humanity once from all from what truly enslaves what truly torments and destroys us as human beings. When God would save us out of slavery to sin, the power of evil and the power of death and the fear of God's judgment when we die. The darkness at Jesus' cross is God's judgment passing over all who believe in Jesus to fall on God's Passover lamb instead. That's what's going on there. It's judgment day. It's humanity's judgment day. That's what's happening. 
That's what this darkness is all about. My judgment, your judgment, falling on Jesus. So we can look forward to not facing judgment, but being accepted and welcomed into heaven. The second signpost after darkness here we saw is the curtain. The curtain, it's there in verse 51, isn't it? At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the moment Jesus dies. Matthew reports the temple, the massive temple that separated um, Holy of Holies from, from, from humanity. It was, it was torn in two supernaturally, top to bottom. Now, that curtain in the history and in the life of God's old covenant people, it meant keep out, like... Whatever you do, do not go through that curtain. It's dangerous. You'll die because no sinful human being can come into the presence of a holy God and live. Only once a year the high priest could go in after sacrificing for his own sin and then to go in to sacrifice uh, for, for the sins of the people once a year, the Day of Atonement. But now that curtain was torn in two at Jesus' death. Here is heaven announcing that a brand new covenant, a brand new way of relating to God is opened up. That any human being can now have direct access to God, not, not through some priest or ritual or ceremony or rules. No, no. Any person can come and have direct access to God simply through faith in Jesus. Wow. Wow. Jesus is not a new set of rules or rituals. He's a radical, direct and open path of acceptance for any human being anywhere in the, on the planet to come to God. It's not tied to a place. Pilgrimages, all that, nah, done and done. put them in the museum. Any person, any time, directs access to God by faith in Jesus. And notice that this acceptance has nothing to do with my achievements, your achievements, um, nothing to do you know, with kids, whether you clean your room, No, no, no. It's all based on Jesus because of what he's done for us on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're not just radical words of renewal, but cosmic words of life. Did you pick up the earthquake? Jesus dies and there's an earthquake. Now, actually, did you guys have an earthquake lately up here or something? Did I read about that? Yeah. Was it sort of like, whoa, you know? Was it one of those or not really? No, no. Gary's just, no, he, he, you didn't wake up, did you, mate? You just, yeah, slept right through it. Yeah, okay. An earthquake. Now, what's that about? Remember, everything that's recorded is trying to show us how Jesus' death fulfills every promise God's ever, ever made in the Old Testament. How unique that the earth should shake and rocks split and graves yield up their dead, verses 51, 53, all as a result of one man's death. How profound that one man's death brings not earthquakes and death, but earthquakes and new life. Now, this is a direct reference to a prophecy that God gave Daniel 600 years earlier, particularly if you turn to the first three verses of Daniel chapter 12. We're told that just before the day of resurrection, before that day, there would be a judgment day. And before that judgment day on humanity, there'd be a time... like of suffering in fact it would be the most terrible worst suffering since the history of the world and would ever be there would be no more moment worse suffering no, no no greater abomination than this so we've got terrible suffering day of judgment resurrection in in Daniel chapter 12 now what we've got going on here at Jesus cross is that abomination we've got the worst ever suffering ever 
in the history of humanity and never again. Just think about it. All of humanity gangs up against the second person of Trinity to crucify him. There's never been a greater day of distress and never will be. But the earth is quaking at Jesus' death. That means, literally, heaven is, and the cosmos is letting humanity know that judgment day has arrived. Worst ever suffering, judgment day resurrection. So we've had the suffering, Jesus has died. Judgment day. But hang, hang on. Where is it? But that judgment day is on Jesus. Our judgment day fell on Jesus that day. That's what Matthew's trying to tell us. And he's using an earthquake to let us know. And of course, on Sunday, we'll again remember when a tomb did break open, when a grave was emptied, and this Son of God rose. Resurrection. The first fruit. Terrible suffering, judgment, resurrection. Friends, Jesus' unique death, it's the death of all deaths. It's God undoing death, literally. Jesus really is the ultimate grave robber. He's holding out to you right now, even before you get to your grave. He's holding out you resurrection life, real forgiveness. He's holding out to you an exit from your grave to provide safe passage to eternal life with God. Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is Jesus revealing that all of God really is in all of these events? Sometimes you hear separation language used, you know, the son was separated from the father at his death. But that's actually couldn't be more untrue. That is not what's going on here. When Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's no separation between Father, Son and Spirit. There's no separation ever in the Godhead. Now the cross of Jesus is God announcing that all of God is for all of humanity. Father, Son and Spirit, they are all in in playing their part in dealing with the sins of the world so that any human being can be forgiven and provided safe passage home to resurrection life with God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is God in Jesus forsaking his son to fulfil scripture for your forgiveness and mine? And the offer is right now, right now today. I don't know how you've walked in this morning. I don't know, I don't know what you're feeling, where you've come from. Whether you're feeling hopeless, or maybe you just can't wait to get out and have a holiday. I don't know. But every human being needs this. They need this forgiveness. Just like today, unbelief was everywhere in that first Easter, wasn't it? I mean, you've got the religious leaders' unbelief, Jews wanting a sign, you know, from Jesus, come down from your cross and then we'll believe. Well, actually, no, they wouldn't. You know, you've got crowds of Jews in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. You've got, you've got Gentiles and people from every nation there, you know, despite the dream given in his, to his wife, he doesn't believe so hard-hearted. You've got the watching, the mocking at Jesus' cross. You've got the robbers ridiculing. I mean, it's a picture of the hardness and the unbelief of humanity's heart, just like today. 
But just like today, there is also belief at that first Easter. Did you, did you pick up where the belief is here in the passage? Can you find it? Verse 54. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Surely he was the son of God. Now, it's unlikely that this is saving belief, but just think about it. The centurion, the soldiers, they're the ones who'd taken Jesus into the garrison, dressed him up, mocked him and beaten him, the ones that had actually flogged him, the ones that had actually hammered the spikes in, the ones who'd gambled away his clothes, and yet at this point, supernaturally, they can see Jesus for who he is. Surely this is the Son of God. How can this be? Well, Matthew tells us back in chapter 11, as Jesus says, only the Father reveals the truth of the Son to a human heart that is so hard and so set against God. Which is why we must pray to the Father to please have mercy, to help us to see who Jesus is, to hear the witness, to understand, believe, and be saved. But the other thing this tells us, far out, if the father could do that for the centurion and the soldiers who did all that horrible stuff to Jesus, hmm, maybe he could do that for me as well. In fact, maybe he could do that for my friend or family member who couldn't be further away from God who couldn't speak more viciously about God, who couldn't be a God-hater, and maybe a Heavenly Father could do that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a cry in history that transcends history. It transcends whatever has, is, or will happen in your life or in this world. This, 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 this cry, it transcends it all. And so I come back and we finish with, with where I began. Whatever you're feeling this Easter, whatever you've done, whatever you haven't done, this cry of forsakenness proclaims to you right here, right now, that God loves you. God couldn't be any more for you. And that for those who will turn to Jesus and say, please save me, Jesus, God's promise is that he cannot be any more with you in the cross of his son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only words Jesus quoted at his cross, the start of Psalm 22, let me finish with the last five sentences of that psalm. Just to remind all of us this morning, who really does rule the world and who really should rule your life as well. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, Jesus. For kingship belongs to the Lord 
and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Every knee will bow to Jesus. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That Jesus has done it. Amen. Well, friends, we're uh, going to sing one.